0: Welcome to the AI Buzz. We cover the latest in open-source AI for everyone, from indie developers to seasoned VCs. I'm Luke Antiga, CTO of Lightning AI. I'm joined by William Falcon, CEO of Lightning AI
1: and creator of PyTorch Lightning. So probably the most interesting question that's in everyone's minds right now is uh, the legality of certain models. What do you think are the main questions that's probably executives are asking themselves right now about this and and what are things so that we should be considering?
0: I think there are a couple of angles. One is uh, if I create a, a product out of this that is user-facing and publicly-facing, um, can I get sued? And how am I liable legally? And the other one is can I use these things for internal use to make my things more efficient? And that's maybe you know less of a concern, but it's still a concern,
1: of course. Why do we think companies are changing licenses and moving away from Apache and kind of coming up with all these, you know, alternative licenses for open sourcing models. It's really a recent thing. I believe it started this year. I actually haven't seen it before. Maybe you have, but I've been paying attention to this stuff since like, I don't know, twenty fifteen, sixteen, 16. And, uh, this is the first year where like it's become a thing, apparently. The first piece of the, of the answer is what licenses
0: do data sets have and this is very, mm, mm. so if it's your data and you uh, licensed it or if it's yours and you, you collect it yourself, then you have nothing to, to fear or to worry about. But if you um, use one of the open source data sets that are out there, then the fact that they're really open source um, is being evalu- reevaluated. For example, Common Crawl, which is obtained by crawlers across the internet um, is known to contain at least dubious um, content with respect to copyright. And this is, I think the reason why Facebook licensed LAMA as a research only because they could not uh, ensure that the the data it was trained on, which contained also common crawl among others, uh, was actually uh, licensed in a kosher way. Um, other institutions are not there careful. And this is an, an oddity, right? Because um, Meta is licensed, for for example, for Segment Anything, Meta uh, licensed all the uh, millions of images uh, that they use for training. So they could uh, do it. And so they uh, licensed everything weights and code as Apache two so the the reason why they didn't license llama in the same way is probably because there was no way to ensure that the data that llama was trained on it can actually be uh, considered as you know uh, open open in any in any way from a legal standpoint. If you go to the pile, for example, I read a very interesting thread on Twitter where uh, uh, the, one of the leaders of unitary AI was discussing about uh, the Pile, which is another uh, data set for large language models. And, and, and they were saying the PILE is unlicensed. So if you go and use the PILE, you need to do it at your own risk. However, the models that were trained from the PILE were licensed as Apache 2 by Unitary AI, willingly because they don't believe that there's a connection between the license of the data set and the license of the model. But not a lot of people know that. So if you go and download uh, a checkpoint that is Apache 2, you kind of assume it's Apache 2, right? There, there's no problems. In in, But I'm not saying that there are problems. I'm just saying that this is all subject to interpretation. And so as a as a CEO, (laughs) even using an open source model could potentially, uh, if you don't do the due diligence. And I don't think right now there are any large language models that are 100% okay due to the fact that the data that has been been using research and probably research is okay, uh, can actually be used commercially. I don't think as a, in general, that there will be, material consequences in the short term. But as you can see, the situation is, is, is not simple to navigate for sure. And the other question was why things have started to be released in with weird or weird or non business friendly licenses. Um, I'm not saying GPL is weird because otherwise this is a, like a flame war starting right here, but, uh, as I think non-traditionally adopted ML, uh, licenses in ML. I think it's more for protection purposes, in fact. So if you release something as GPL, you know it's kind of tainted. So you want to show what you've done, and you're trying not to make it used for commercial purposes, although you can, kind of, as we explained at the the beginning. But it's a way to discourage people to do so.
1: So what are you to do if you're the CEO or, you know, director of AI at a major Fortune 100 company, and you want to use LLMs right now, and you're looking at open source. Are there any good alternatives right now? Yeah, I think uh, for open source language models, all of them have been either
0: trained on data sets that contain common crawl data, like uh, uh, the pile or red pyjama more recently that kind of tries to reproduce Llama. So I think in good faith, you can use one of the open source models, just knowing that it's kind of everyone is doing that, and so it would be um, like you won't be alone in eventually facing uh, legal hurdles in the in the future, which I think are unlikely to happen. Um, but of course, you know, if you use language models internally, so not for a user like facing functionality, I think it's totally fine. Um, if, if you use them for user facing, then yeah, you just need to know what is what. Apache two models are okay. I think they're inevitable, inevitably, uh, uh debatable if the license is like exactly that exact, the, the but there's not nothing we can do about it in this, at this time, maybe when training large language models become less about the data, more about the reasoning, uh, then then we'll, we'll be able to not use those massive amounts of data to train them. But until that time, I think it will be hard.
1: How many years until the legal side catches up? I assume that, I mean, there's a few big lawsuits out there right now that will probably set a precedent and yep. those will probably take, I, I'm not a lawyer, but I assume one, maybe two years to go to court, to get debated, probably, I I would assume it goes all the way to like a Supreme Court or something, and then we make a decision there. That will take multiple years, and I guess maybe we can look at crypto to see what's happened, but probably <laughs> crypto broke all sorts of laws and hasn't really <laughs> caught up with them yet, as of maybe last October, I guess it did, but... <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, I'm not sure. Like, I think uh, most of the focus now is on the creative industry, right? So images, audio, um, video, movies. So when you have things that, you know, you ask the thing to generate uh, an image of a soccer match and there's this, this logo of the TV on the corner and you can recognize, it's not exactly that, but you can kind of recognize that. And there are some examples like that then, you know, it amounts to how much your model actually memorized and can regurgitate exactly what it memorized, and that's a problem. Uh, Because even from from an ideal perspective, like the fact that there's some material out there that you consume as a human, so I read a page that is copyrighted. Now, I read that page. I have it in my head. And then I write an essay talking about the page. I'm not infringing the copyright of that page. It's not that it's secret; it's public. And the moment it's public, I can like introspect <laughs> its content and produce new content that it kind of inspire or comments on to- on, on the topic that that original piece was uh, was uh, was explaining. So, uh, if large language models are like re-elaborating information in creative ways, then it's not entirely clear from a legal perspective what you can or cannot do. It it depends on how you consider LLMs to be. I think because it's not like a, a, an exact transposition of that content. It it can be informed by it, but it's not an an exact transposition. I'm pretty sure that copyright law has some sort of metric for you know how close. To the original source you're reproducing as opposed to kind of re-elaborating. So it, um, I think that if we can avoid language models to reproduce exact content exactly or image generation models to represent content exactly, then I think legally it's uncharted territory, 100% from a copyright law
1: perspective, as far as I know. Throughout history, I guess we've had to always adjust laws to account for the new innovation. So what's a maybe recent example that we can think of that parallels us right now? The
0: 80s brought the first uh, sampling machines on the music, in the music industry. And uh, you get uh, a lick, a guitar lick in a, in a hip-hop song. But that's That's exactly that thing. Maybe it's processed, maybe it's filtered, but that's exactly it. Which is different from a model internalizing the high-level like concept of that thing and then spitting it out in a completely different way, it, which is unrecognizable. It's not related to that one thing, but to that one plus other a thousand things. And it comes up with a completely new leak. Does that characterize as like using a sampling thing? So how do you relate back? It's impossible, I think. Unless it just produces that same lick.
1: In the sampling, what happened? If you sample a song and you come up with a R&B version of it, is it a derivative? I guess, are you good? Yeah, it is. I think you need to license it. Like you need to go to the author and pay for that lick. Something that I see with songs is maybe not relevant, but... People do covers and when they do that, it's in their own style. And then now they have the license for it for the execution. Yes.
0: Not for the original composition.
1: I see. Hmm. Interesting. (laughs) So, okay. So, so switching topics a bit to the weights. So again, the weights are like the engine of the car, I guess this applies to that. So let's say I take Llama, which is like a bespoke research license. And I fine tune it with my own data. So, you know, the weights are the engine of the car again, and fine tuning is like me giving it another 100 horsepower so that it can work better for my use case, right? What happens? Is the license, did I change the license?
0: Uh, suppose you can compute the delta weights. So, w- one practice that I've seen is that people, I don't know, using low rank approximations, compute weights on top of the frozen model. And those weights, which are like modules that get added on top of the frozen model, are released with different licenses compared to the initial one. Um, And so when you download one of these, they also tell you, go get your Llama weights, do it yourself so we don't redistribute it, but then we will redistribute the layer that goes on top of that. That is okay, although uh, you might argue that the fact that the the weights, the adapter or Lora or low rank approximation, whatever fine tuned weights you you uh, you use, the fact they are that way depends on the fact that the base model catches or doesn't catch um, the in certain uh, uh, inputs in a certain way. So in a way that they're a, they're a derivative of the of the of the model or the frozen model of the baseline model. This dual licensing, like this is like maybe philosophical. This dual licensing is something I I saw happening. Um, So distribute fine-tuned weights or delta, like even if you fine-tune the whole model, you subtract your final weights from the initial weights and this is your delta and you can license it the way you want. Again, with uh, plus minus uh, standard deviation.
1: Another kind of creative take that I've seen is um, companies who use ChatGPT to train their model. So you just generate the data through ChatGPT. And their reasoning is, one, the the terms of service that OpenAI has might be not legally enforceable because it might be too restrictive first. I'm not a lawyer, so I'm not going to debate that. And two, even if they are, you violate the terms of service if you compete with ChatGPT, but the definition of compete seems a little bit ambiguous as well. And then finally, three, even if they wanted to enforce that, could they and would they, given that probably, I would assume, that a lot of their data and things are not super kosher. So there's like four levels into this. It's just,
0: yeah,
1: I mean, there are very many levels here, right?
0: Uh, yeah, I've seen it happening. Alpaca, for example, has been uh, created with OpenAI open AI APIs. So now if you have Alp- uh, Lama, fine-tuned Alpaca, now you have two dot licenses. One, on one end, you have the Terminal of Services, and on the other end, you have the base model being bespoke uh, research license. But even the BART model from Google, uh, at some point, somebody found out that it contained like ChatGPT kind of like <laughs> derived data, and and uh, Sam Altman allegedly. said, yeah, or was yeah allegedly,
1: yeah, yeah. Is this real?
0: Yeah. Uh irrespective of the fact that it's real or not, uh, I think Sam Altman responded and said, I'm gonna, not going to sue even if Google did it. Like I don't care. I think at the the bottom line is that, yes, you're right. If you start opening the, the box. And, yeah, if you sue your neighbor because he built a shag in his garden and uh, you built a shag in your own garden, <laughs> then you can be sure that, you know, you'll be sued for the shag in your garden.
1: <laughs> I think we're at the precipice of a legal year in AI. I believe that a lot of companies are going to file more lawsuits this year. And probably I think that stifles innovation a bit is what happens to those lawsuits in the next few years. I guess the main consideration that I have is mostly for companies on how do you navigate this and, you know, not take any chances. I think for startups, I guess, they are more likely to be okay with that. But if you're a Fortune 100 company, you know, you don't want to have a, Three or four billion dollar liability on your balance sheet. I think there's a couple of directions
0: that we can see in in, in the in the uh, ahead of us. Uh, one is that smaller models trained on a lot of data seem to be capable enough to do things that are useful. And what is also happening is that uh, I had um, I saw wizard uh, some wizard something model. Uh, that was trained using a curriculum of increasingly hard problems that was fine-tuned, not pre-trained. So you start from a pre-trained model and then mm, fine-tune it on an increasing, uh, of problems of increasing complexity, which by the way, they were created using a language model, but that exhibits, even if you run it, I think on top of the Lama 7 million. Uh, you start getting closer to the kind of answers that ChatGPT gives you. Uh, It may not be like on certain certain data set, it it outperforms ChatGPT on certain other things in general doesn't. But it's a good indication that uh, using maybe less data of a certain like crawl kind and more quality data and also more quality curricula for models where you stop kind of predicting the next word and you start doing something more, a bit more elaborate uh, using even, you know, reinforcement learning to to rank and, and so on, might produce smaller models that are capable enough to be useful. And I think this is very interesting for companies because they would put themselves in full control of what these things are trained on. So I think that will be a strong push towards uh, maybe not going massive, but going more smart. And in the meantime, probably uh, experimentation will still go through the models that are out today. And that's not a big deal, I think, from a legal perspective, as long as the field continues to innovate and reach the point where we don't need all that data, dubious uh, provenance data to uh, obtain the same results.
1: Yeah, I agree. So I think to summarize, if you're a big company or really a company that's adopting AI now and you're kind of trying to figure out what to do, I think you can position yourself successfully to think about not having one massive model, but a bunch of small kind of personal models, I guess, that are all super focused on very specific tasks. And you'll have fewer models than you have today. If you have 2,000 models in production today, you'll probably have maybe 50 or 100, but they'll be very, very good at what they do and they'll be focused. And I think that... Positioning yourself for that allows you to make sure that the way that you set up your teams and systems and infrastructure can support that easily without having to, like, over-engineer too much or spend too much time thinking about, like, how do I deploy these massive models or whatever. And the real thing to work on right now, I think, is... Because I think, you know, we're, we're figuring this out and, you know, we're one of the companies that works a lot on on model compression and these kind of things. And it's not just us, but it's a whole crew of open source people. We're figuring this out. And I think this year we will figure it out how to do it pretty well. I think we're kind of already there in a lot of places, but probably the thing that as a company, CEO or CIO can, can do to position themselves right now is really think about the data because that's really the value, right? So is your data kosher? Did you get it correctly? It's your internal data. Did you clean it well? If you're already doing big data, then you're already there, right? Because you, you've you already gone through this in the last decade. So now that you have that, what you want to do is figure out how to minimally fine-tune or pre-train a model using your own data. If you have enough data, I recommend you pre-train. If you don't have it, then you want to fine-tune a bit. And um, you know we'll, we'll have to figure out some models that you can actually do that with. Um, we, we have a few that are coming out that we're pre-training with a community that should be fully Apache too, but you know, that's still quite a bit away. But I think that I don't know, like how would you position yourself if you're leading a company today for AI? Yeah,
0: I would for sure go into fine tuning, uh, because for fine tuning you need like tens of thousands of examples, which is not a big deal when you when you talk text and then, you know, we can go into images and stuff, but um and you can condition your model to produce pretty uh, aligned, like pretty uh, focused uh, outputs if your base model is good. So gaining that expertise to properly know how to fine tune, to properly know how to prompt your custom models so so that you're successful is something that will not change as a, uh, as a need between here and when like models will be better maybe a bit better or uh, uh, will be fully licensed in a kosher way and so on. So that part will always be there. Of course, the way you prompt a model changes. Uh, if you prompt GPT-4, it's very different from whether you prompt, uh, uh, the way you prompt uh, Lama's hand Um The other thing I think I would start looking into is how do I evaluate a language model for my particular task? So how do I figure out if I made an improvement. And so fine-tuning on different data will also allow you to understand what is the benchmark, even internal benchmark, that you can use an infrastructure to run those benchmarks, that you can use to evaluate whether something uh, is good or bad, whether it has high chances of going off the rails, and so on, because that will be a specific skill Uh, that you will need to develop if you want to adopt large language models plus the POC like flashy demo kind of uh, point. Thanks again for tuning in to the AI Buzz, brought to you by Lightning AI. If you want to keep the conversation going and become a part of one of the biggest open source communities in the world, join Lightning AI's Discord server. There, members of our team and community work together to solve problems, chat about new developments, and actively shape the future of AI. Until next time.